Welcome to our podcast on project sponsorship. I'm Andy Murray, the Executive Director of the Major Projects Association. I'm joined today by Carol Davini. Welcome, Carol. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. So, Carol, um, those people who are, you know, um, uh, regularly involved in project sponsorship probably know who you are. You don't need too much of an introduction. But for those who are um, listening into this podcast and uh, want to know more about project sponsorship, a little bit of uh, background on, on Carol. So Carol is the Managing Director of Sea Change International Consulting. Um, it's the company you formed a few years ago, Carol, uh, to advance uh, um, uh, a number of things around uh, major projects and uh, and sponsorship. And uh, before that, you uh, had a number of roles, but uh, one that sort of brought you into the spotlight for project sponsorship was when you were head of sponsorship for Network Rail. And I think that's when we first met uh, through the uh, the APM governance uh, special interest group when you were in that that role. Uh, and notably for for this podcast, uh, Carol, you've just launched a book or it's just been published called How to Sponsor Projects, which is right on top for our upcoming seminar uh, on the 13th of June in Manchester on Fit for Future sponsorships. So uh, um, hope I've done that, uh, your, your background justice there, Carol, from that introduction. Yes, indeed you have. And yeah, thank, so, thank you for mentioning the book. It's been an exciting week. Uh, I've talked about it for long enough and finally written it and published it. So Carol, I want to start off talking about your book, if I may, and then we'll just uh, link that to the themes we've got in the seminar that's coming up, because I think they they really do uh, align. And uh, and partly, if I explain that the reason why we've got uh, Carol for, for this podcast ahead of uh, the, the seminar, we normally do our podcasts after our seminars, is that Carol's going to be on holiday touring the railways of, of Italy uh, when we're holding our event. Um, so, uh, Carol, as someone sort of uh, long-standing background in the railway sector, are you a glutton for punishment or is this like the, the, the classic busman's holiday? I mean, it's a bit of both and it actually ties in really nicely to one of the things we are talking about. So you, you probably know, Andy, that, that my company have a policy and we have since day one that we do not fly domestic in the UK. That's our sustainability policy and our commitment to mm -hmm. role modelling what we believe in, which is public transport as a, as a great equaliser and a, and a great sustainability option. The, the holiday is part trip, part indulging my, my love of uh, railway journeys <laughs> and also part trial. And could we actually extend that policy to say we're actually not going to fly domestic European either? So this is as I have to do it first before I ask anyone else to do it. Um, so, so that's partly what we're doing on this, this trip is seeing actually how viable is it? What is the business impact? Because we reckon we can mitigate any impacts, but we have mm -hmm. to understand what they are first of all. And a bit of a theme that perhaps we'll come on to later, because, you know, when we're thinking about the impact on projects, often it doesn't require us to spend more or do more. It just requires us to think more in terms of how we achieve the same objective in a more sustainable or more impactful way. But before we go on to that, let's talk about your book. So why did you write it? Um, what prompted you to write a book on how to be a project sponsor? Oh, sorry, how to sponsor projects. Let me get the title right. Yeah, how to sponsor projects. I mean, I wrote it for three main reasons. The first reason is really I, I was a project manager and then I, I became a sponsor or had sponsorship thrust on me. I'm never sure which one it was. And when I had been a project manager and, and anything else that I've done, I like to read all the texts, look at what all the different you know ways you can do a thing are and then figure out the way that works for me by trialing some things. So I thought, well, I'll get on the Internet and I'll buy the sponsor books and I will read from there. And 
you know, it was my first step in the realisation that as a profession, we are so underserved. There were no books, there were no major texts for me to read. There wasn't very much in any of the, that's changed a bit now. And there wasn't much in any of the professional institutions that really said to me, this is what good looks like and this is the standard you should aim to hold yourself to. And it was about two years before I actually got a little tiny handbook on a training session that said, you know, I think it was called um, the role of the sponsor or sponsor's handbook. And it was fabulous because I had been doing a job for two years and I read the book, went on the course and realised I'm doing some of my old job and some of the new one. And now I know what sponsorship is. So it's it's always been in my head that I would write a book about it probably from about five to seven years in because you can't write the book until you've, you know, had some of the experience. And And the second reason is I think... I really want us to start that debate for sponsors. You know, there's not one project management book that we all follow. I would love it if someone read it, read it and said, well, that's not what I would have written in the book. I'm going to write my own book. And we create a lot of texts that people can read a variety, choose the things that work for them, because not everything I propose is going to work for every person or every project. So we, we need to create that diversity. And sometimes putting some things out that might be provocative, even just by saying, this is the, what I call best practice, for someone else to read it and go, oh no, best practice is this. That's how you start a debate and debate and cognitive diversity is what will drive us forward as a, as a profession, I believe. Yeah, well, we can't improve on something if we don't know what the something already is. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I really like that that idea of just putting it out there so that people can add to it and and keep the you know the, the best practice moving forward I, I loved your introduction by the way in your in your book where you 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 sort of expand upon you know what you just mentioned there in terms of uh, when people uh, um, feel that when they've first asked to sponsor a project it can it can feel very vague and ambiguous and and then when they sort of scratch around to find out what it means they're told well it's not being a project manager it's you know go and get the money um, and then sort of um, and, and then leave it to the project oh by the way but you've got to you know, keep some oversight going on, or maybe not. And 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 it was all the different things. It's almost like uh, that there isn't. Uh, it's almost uh, the the first rule of Fight Club. You know, so the first rule of Sponsor Club is you know there is no sponsor, or there's no guide, or playbook for the sponsor. And um, and that ties in really well to uh, to the the seminar that we've got uh, coming up, which is um, we we got um, a number of parts to it. But the first part is uh, for us to um, uh, to, to present some findings from a study that the association commissioned that was uh, done by uh, uh, Professor uh, Carl Gavin and his team at Alliance Manchester Business School. And it looked exactly what you've been talking about, Carol, which is, you know, how is sponsorship defined uh, in, in the various sort of bodies of knowledge and, and elsewhere? And, and Carl and his team, or I think it's principally Carl, uh, has uh, captured something like 6,000 items of, of literature that uh, are either reference sponsor or, or more importantly, should reference sponsor, but didn't. Um, and so, uh, and, and the sort of conclusions that, that Carl has reached from that without sort of revealing what will be presented on the 13th of June is exactly as you said, it's not very well defined. And in fact, there's very little, literally he found only a handful uh, of, of guidance where the sponsor is explicitly defined uh, and there's guidance for the sponsor 
mostly it's it, you know the descriptions of a sponsor is written from the project manager's perspective in terms of this is what you can expect from your sponsor your sponsor will give you this if you've got this trouble go and speak to your sponsor um, so it's not really written or described or developed from the sponsor's perspective themselves so um, so we'll be we'll be having that uh, uh, presentation from Carl at the uh, at the seminar um, when you made the transition from project manager to sponsor Carol I just want to uh, pick your brains on this what was the what, what sort of new skills did you feel you needed to develop what was the big transition I think the, the biggest transition for me was was moving out of the doing and into the strategy because I was still, I mean, I wasn't a particularly youngish person. I had quite a lot of work experience at that mm -hmm. time, but I was used to doing things and being busy. And, and I'm, a, I'm a sort of classic complete or finisher, busy worker. So actually moving to saying some of the time that I spend thinking about how I help the team and talking to people and gathering support, that's as valuable as activity it may look less productive to others and it may feel like it to me but actually we have great project managers my job is to let them do their job and me to do this strategic piece and the strategic alignment and actually valuing that and moving into that space rather than thinking well I can do thinking next week but I can do things today um because you're so used to in that project space being so focused on the end goal that that transition was it was a bit tricky but it was good to be around quite a mature team of sponsors who I just saw them do it with such ease and I, I started to see the difference it made and thought ah thinking and strategy are, are, are the value that I add here not being an extra pair of hands in the project and and that was the biggest that was the biggest change to make and the biggest realization to have yeah, and that's fascinating because that's really getting into the psyche of what it means to be a project manager versus what does it mean to be a sponsor and, you know, one driven by, you know, um, if you like, the tangible uh, signs of their work uh, and the other, um, the enabling of, of, of their work. And uh, yeah, so, so I've seen that in, in many cases where, you know, the, the output from an activity might be an option. <laughs> an option to do something and actually not taking the option is a valuable result isn't it you know but but it might not feel like it if you spent six months proposing a scheme uh, and then there's a decision not to go ahead and, and actually that can be okay you know that means that as a sponsor you've provided all the necessary analysis and and the, the decision is not to go ahead with something that's good sponsorship but it doesn't feel like it if you come from a project management background where perhaps you'd fall onto being a position of advocacy and the the only result is to go ahead because uh, you know that's the tangible output of your work yeah I've definitely seen that and it's probably the area of, of biggest and most difficult conflict between sponsors and project managers to, to work on together because to, to the project manager it feels like you're taking something away from them almost as if mm. well you haven't done a good job so I'm cancelling this project when really what you're saying is great work you've really helped us demonstrate that we should not go any further for whatever reason and and I think it's really it's really current at the moment because so many projects and so many industries people are having to reevaluate well the need may no longer be there because the benefits may no longer be desired because in a post-COVID world 
actually maybe the benefits we need are something different and I think mm -hmm. I see a lot of tension around those relationships and it's because you've got those different motivators different drivers but you're actually getting a great result when you don't waste money <laughs> you know whether you're in the private or public sector not wasting money on projects it's it's good for your organization it's good for the planet we don't need to build or create or change any more things that don't drive benefits but really really difficult work such a difficult space for the two the, the two roles to be in that sort of then speaks to the development and you know pathways for uh, for sponsors and how do we how do we get you know the great sponsors that we need for the challenges that we've got ahead and and some of it is technical but but a lot of that will be experiential won't it and uh, and and sort of behavioral aspects of the role yeah very much and you, you really you know, it's, it's not a job that you want to ask someone who's just brand new to sponsorship and to working with people to pick up. You know, if they're mm -hmm. in that space of having to bring a project to a close, as a more senior sponsor, you have to offer those people support because when you cancel a project, you learn more about yourself than anything because you have to step out of taking it personally. And remember, you were never there to win awards or cut ribbons. You were always there to make sure investments are chosen and delivered wisely. And you know, I think I say in the book, the best projects you deliver will be the ones that you stop from happening because they no longer had the benefits or the strategic desires or stakeholder support or, or deliverability or business case. But yes, it's, it's it sounds very practical. Well, if there's no business case, we, we would immediately stop. But that's never been my experience. People get so wedded, you know, the fallacy of sunk costs and people trying to meet out turns and, and also the political context. You know, politicians don't particularly love to celebrate cancelled projects. They, they would like you to save money or do it quicker. They don't necessarily love to say you're not doing it. So the sponsor is, is in that space all the time. And it, it is a difficult road to walk. Fastly rewarding because you can look and think, I remember I stopped, helped people stop wasting money on that thing that we did not need or want, but but really difficult work to do. Are there uh, sort of tough you know, aspects of uh, sponsors that I've observed and, and particularly in, in projects where you know, they're sort of public money. Um, and I think that's sort of the realm that we've just been discussing then as well. Um, and like the Green Book applies, you know, the Treasury's uh, Green Book, which is, you know, the basis upon which business cases are developed and then the Treasury approval points uh, are, are based upon. But we've got five a five case model. Um, and, and if you think about those five cases, there were almost five different people in terms of skill sets that are required in terms of like strategic, you know, top level helicopter thinking. And then you've got the management case, which is getting you into detail. You've got commercial, you know, the, these these different aspects are quite different uh, um, experience and skills and uh, that, that are required. And yet we're asking a sponsor to oversee all of them. And and, uh, and and that's why I think there's the the element of like almost like the incomplete leader uh, aspect, which is, you know, you need to know what you don't know uh, and, and then bring that expertise around you. And I guess the, uh, the, the biggest skill is just the, the power of questioning and, uh, and, and not, not uh, falling on uh, uh, um, making too many assumptions. Yeah, and I think it's that you have to be really honest with yourself and look at those five cases, don't you, and say, which one of those do I immediately want to just, you know, remove because it's not my skill set? And then 
don't try and find someone who helps you with it. Try and find someone who's much better at it than you, that you know when you put all the parts together, <laughs> yeah. you get the great business case because we're all going to have a, a weaker area or a blinder spot, but we just need someone that, that can plug that in for us and then have that debate around it as well. You know, these business cases are big, big pieces of work and the best ones I've seen are the ones where they've had multiple people inputting and the sponsor really leading that team and leading from their base, but they've found, you know, a team of experts to help them with it. It's sort of the alternative view to the uh, the incomplete leader is uh, you know surround yourself with people so you're the weakest in the link. There you go, because <laughs> you've got stronger links around you that uh, can pull you through it. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the, the book, Carol. What can people find or expect to see in it um, when they sort of get their copies? I know it's on Kindle and there's also is it a hardback or a paperback you can get as well. It's in both, so it's on Kindle, it's in paperback, it's in hardback. Um, I, it was interesting because when you when you go to work with an editor and I described to the editor the book I wanted to write, she said, well, you can't possibly write that book because what I wanted to talk about was the real, the real challenges around the nuance of sponsorship and what I had learned, basically where I had gotten to almost after 20 years. And she said, so what's the book before that people would read? You know, what, you know, where are you starting your text from? And I said, oh, we don't really have any. Um, and like you said earlier, the research shows quite often what's happening is there's books that say to project managers, here's what your sponsor will be doing, here's what they expect. No one wrote that book and told the sponsors, therefore there's sometimes that disparity. And, and what they said to me is you have to start from day one and you have to write the absolute basics and you have to take yourself back to what did you need to know and what were the things that were useful? So instead of having 50 topics, I had to pick what are the top 11 topics and start to write okay, if you're starting from day one, and I think day one for some sponsors is still every new project you go on to. Um, so we've talked about what should the role look like, putting in the context, and then talking through the key elements. And, and we've tried to give some top tips and some examples. I think a lot of people expected a lot of railway examples, but we've, we've um, well, I'd say we, I wrote the book, not a we. Um, I've used examples from different industries to show I think in each industry we can get a little bit insular and think these problems only happen to us. You know, we get a little bit of exceptionalism going on. The reality is that a sponsor challenge in one industry is generally the same challenge elsewhere because sponsors are rarely breaking through the technical challenges. They're breaking through all the other pieces, the governance, the assurance, the stakeholder management, aligning benefits with requirements, figuring out who's actually calling the shots. All of that, all of that contextually applies in every industry and every environment. So people didn't need stories about here's how you build the best bridge or here's how you get the you know the best rail alignment. We actually have lots of you know text on those things. So this is much more about how can you actually frame this job for yourself and and build your skill set as you go. And and there are different types of sponsors, aren't there? There's like in the railway um, sector, as you mentioned that uh, there tends to be what I would call um, professional or dedicated sponsors where the job title and the role are one and the same thing. Um, and, and then in other uh, organisations, someone is asked to sponsor a project because they might own the asset or they might own the function or the operation that's going to be changed or affected by by the project. So there's sort of different types of sponsors. And, and does your book sort of cover both both types if you're in the sort of where your job title and role is the same or or whether it's on top of a day job if you like um or part of a day job I should call it <laughs> rather than on top of uh, does it apply yeah. to both of those 
it, it does apply. And we've talked a little bit about, um, I've heard in, in some circles, the, the phrase executive sponsor and delegated sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we've used that that terminology, but yeah, it really applies to anyone. And, and that's why I had to be quite strategic about writing it in a way that actually mm -hmm. whether you're that person who suddenly looked around and you had the, the sponsor file for a particular <laughs> project landed on your desk or whether you get up every day and you know you're a career sponsor and that's what you do. Um, I had to write something that applied to both because that's the help I wanted to give. Because again, it's the same challenges. We were speaking to an, an exec sponsor yesterday on a review. You know, she's at a very senior level. She's not in the detail. She's talking about the same challenges that a professional sponsor in, in a real project anywhere in the world would be talking about. Strategic alignment, sticking to the scope, all, all of the same things. Carol, I've got a curiosity and then I'll move on to uh, asking you some questions about our so themes that we've got in, in the seminar that's coming up. So so it's, it relates to this skills bit. So in, in, in my observation um, in terms of what makes a great sponsor, um, one of them, and, I, and my sample set is not necessarily massive, so it might be the, the sample, but but it seems being Scottish is one of them. All, all the uh, great sponsors I've worked with have been Scottish, but not everyone have that fortune of uh, where they're born so apart from being Scottish um, you know what, what attributes you know that sort of have you experienced that make a great sponsor maybe that'll be my next research project will be why <laughs> being why does being Scottish help you be a sponsor I, I think there's certainly something about as a, as a people culturally we're fairly forthright and not always uncomfortable with tension and conflict compared to maybe mm. some some other um, cultures and actually getting comfortable with conflict is one of those things that you have to be able to do. It doesn't mean we want people going out and upsetting apple carts and creating conflict, but being able to have very difficult conversations, but in a managed way where you create a safe space to have those difficult discussions, that's how you're going to find out if your project's over budget, if things are running late. You know, you have to create an environment where truth is something that is a comfortable dialogue for people by getting them through that sort of discomfort. Um, and, and I think that's definitely key. Other skills I think you need are, I think you, you really need to be I think you have to be a people person, but that also has to come with that edge of, you know, we owe people the truth when we work in projects. So being a people person is really different from being a people pleaser in, in a sponsorship skill set. And really high levels of emotional intelligence and self-awareness are something that I, I see in the, in the great sponsors that I've worked with. Um, and a bit, I think of natural charisma. The people that I've always role modelled and looked up to have been the people that have just been able to sort of win over a crowd um, and, and create some credibility around actually the things that they say. I, I think the number one the number one quality, I always say, don't hire sponsors for their technical skill set, like hire them for their values, because if the values don't fit your organisation, you've got the wrong sponsor in the wrong place. And the number one value for me is integrity, like they have to move with integrity through the project and the organisation at all times. Yeah, that technical uh, expertise bit is is um, really interesting because, you know, one of the things that we've been exploring around sponsors and another theme of some seminars that the associations looked at is around systems thinking and, and you know, projects exist in, you know, often create systems and existing systems. Uh, and, and if you bring, you know, a specialist 
area of expertise or technical expertise to something there's a tendency that you can end up focusing on one part of the system and not not the complete system and uh, we know the whole system has to work you know to get the full value out of the the investments um, but great thanks for that carol um i would like to just uh, move on to you know a couple of topics we've got coming up on uh, in the seminar and uh, the title of the seminar is um, fit for future sponsorship which is you know let's say we we uh, um uh, we resolve the conundrum about what does the sponsor look like what do they do uh, and you know we can develop the guidance for them but what we don't want to do is to you know to describe that based upon what we used to do but thinking about what are the challenges going ahead and there's two we haven't picked all of those so we just picked two um and two things we know that are changing and so therefore sponsors can make a, a bigger impact on uh, is the area of sustainability and also uh, social value so and the theme that we're going to explore is how do we go beyond the brief you know how do we deliver you know how do we get more from our projects without necessarily spending more um so from your perspective what what can sponsors do uh in in the world of you know let, let's pick sustainability first and then move on to social value second and you obviously gave an example your own organization with the you know can can you travel you know by uh, public transport um but what is it the sponsors can do so sustainability is a, a really interesting one um partly because it's something I, I really care about but also it's something i've watched very very closely firsthand evolve over over many years and I remember in about 2006, we were in a public inquiry for a, a, a rail project and it's myself and the project director and various other people giving evidence, you know, repeatedly and being cross-examined by barristers because we were looking to take, you know, 2,000 people's homes. We were looking to have permission to create, you know, massive disruption and, and build a railway. And I remember someone asking a question, one of the judicial people asking a question about um, our carbon footprint. That was very much the terminology at the time. And we all sort of thought, as a team, you know, you prepare heavily for these events. And I remember thinking, oh, we haven't prepped that question. And the project director said, well, we're building a railway and railway is, you know, more environmentally friendly than any other form of transport. And they all sort of nodded and went OK and moved on. We've not moved on that many years and that would never be acceptable now. You know, and I'm not saying that they did anything wrong. That was definitely the thinking. We, we could go into public environments and say we're building public transport. Therefore, that equals sustainable practice. And that was very much accepted. Now we have to go much, much further. We have to actually do more thinking to prove that that is always the case because it, it may not always be. And that for me is really something that a sponsor has got to lead. Like you've got to stand up at the front and say on this project, we are not looking to be compliant. We are looking to excel. We're looking to exceed expectations because if the sponsor does not lead that value from the beginning, what you're telling your supply chain is, is either that compliance is okay, which means we're kind of doing this because we have to. So, you know, do what you have to do to get the right consents and, and not cause too much trouble. Or you can lead from the front and say, we're going to build this project sustainably and I want you to come and show us what that looks like. Now, in reality, that generally looks like a project that's under better control, has less impact on the public and quite often saves you a lot of money because we know that sustainable practice is generally very, very good business. With I can't think of any exceptions. And I think the sponsor's role is to make sure that you set that context from the outset, because if you don't, that that will trickle through the entire project and you and you'll get what you asked for, even if you think you subtly asked for it. Yeah, and the whole concept of sort of avoid, reuse, repurpose um, generally means that you know you, you're you're going to be doing less things and 
and and, and you can uh, deliver the same outcomes with you know with less cost and, and less environmental impact so uh, you say that sort of generally they go hand in hand don't they in terms of good good practice um, yes um, and and let's turn our attention to, to social value. Um, so, you know, my, my you know experience of social value. Um, you know, I've you know, in, in prior roles, I've done lots and lots of project reviews and uh, you know acted in an assurance capacity. And unfortunately, I see it sort of, you know, I don't see the term come up too much through, if you like, in project documentation or in project conversations until it gets to the procurement aspects and then the interaction with the supply chain and it seems to be entirely you know what what's the supply chain going to do to get social value from the project rather than what's the project going to do you know what what the sponsors going to do to get social value from from the project so so what what can sponsors do in terms of increasing the social value of, of, of the projects that they're proposing and overseeing I think it's 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 solving the problem exactly is what you say this is not a supplier issue if you're the client of a major project even if you're a client on a, a project anywhere, you know that you're going to create some change and that you can actually do some good. Why would you leave it until you're almost on the verge of delivering it to start asking your supply chain to add it in? Where, where we see that happen, it's rarely very effective and it becomes a little bit tokenistic. It becomes something that even, even supply chain um, providers who are really engaged with it, they're doing it at the last gasp when they're also about to start delivering a project. It's like any principle of good development. You have it in the beginning and you drive the project on that basis. And where we see it done well is where actually the client and the sponsor are working together to say, well, what is the social value we could, could create from this project? What do we want to create from this project? And how are we going to fund that? And again, you can actually get a lot of returns from doing that work upfront financially whereas people push it into the supply chain and then they see it as a cost to do good and they think hang on couldn't you do good just by policy and just by driving in some measures and I think there's some real practical things they can do for example setting well, what are the social value impacts you want to have specific to your project so maybe we work internationally so sometimes we see some really good work where people are looking at well what's the indigenous nations engagement around that project you know that's going to be our social value um, or maybe it's a major our construction project and they think actually getting lots of um, small and medium enterprises engaged that's going to be good if you wait until you ask your supply chain to do that it's too late you have to start attracting them the minute you start thinking about it and saying hey we're going to want to work with you how can we actually change us to, to make ourselves more attractive and I see sometimes it be a, it's a jobs measure and, and I come from a, a background of employability when I was in project management Jobs are not always the thing that are going to move people forward. Some people are so far removed from the labour market that creating jobs that you see are going to a certain postcode. You may as well put those jobs in the moon because those people are so far removed that they are not going to turn up and, and you know, move into, say, schedule planning jobs, you know, from, from three generations of unemployment. But if you're being really targeted and saying, well, actually, we know the area we're in has these particular issues, what could we do? Oh, maybe you can actually create training opportunities, voluntary opportunities. Maybe you can do something where you fund programmes and, and you, you know, you create generational wealth around this and, and change people's opportunities. None of that you can ask your supply chain to do. They've got enough work to do procuring and delivering major projects and bringing them into use. So I think there's so much people can do either as, as up, offset to the disruption um, because there's a role to play in that too or actually thinking about where is that social value impact we want to have and how do we have it and there's some expert people in delivering social value 
they just tend not to sit in project organisations. So the sponsors, the role of saying, oh, hang on, we can't do this ourselves. Let's go out and get some expert advice and let's make this real. Because I, I can tell you from, from years of community work, people can spot a token gesture a mile away. And actually, mm. you, you know, it's worse. You'd be better steamrolling through the whole place and pretending, you know, acting like you don't care than pretending that you do because you'll actually disengage people and, and you won't get any value from it. So I think yeah, it's, it's a massive role for the sponsor. It's, I've tended to work on projects where you've had the ability to do that and it's some of the most valuable work you can do. Yeah and and thinking of the social value from the sponsor organisation perspective and, and bringing them and getting involved, um, it, it sets the right tone doesn't it then for all the others that, that then engage with the projects if the if the sponsoring organisation is doing it as well. Um, great. Well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have some really good conversations when we delve into this topic deeper uh, on the 13th of June. Um, Carol, that's been a brilliant. I can't believe half an hour has just whizzed by uh, already that uh, it feels like we're only just go, getting going in our conversation. <laughs> so thank you very much. Well, it just leaves it to me to, to say thank you for, for your time and, and taking it out ahead of your your, your uh, trip to, to Italy. Uh, hope hope it's successful and, uh, and I hope you uh, uh, get plenty of uh, of downloads let's let's assume let's hope we get more kindles views rather than the the hardback <laughs> copies of your book um but uh, wish you all the success for that and hopefully we'll follow up soon carol and uh, get you involved in more mpa activities as well thank you that's great thank you so much for having me andy always a pleasure